All right, guys, welcome back to another wonderful episode of Blockhash Exploring the Blockchain. Today on episode 268, I have the CEO of Chains, Anderson Mikuchian. Mikuchian. Um, did I pronounce that right? Yeah, Mikuchian. Mikuchian, okay. Um, Anderson, thank you for being here. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. A lot of cool things I want to talk about today with Chains. Uh, welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Of course, anytime. Um, so to kick it off and to kind of get started, um, tell me a bit about your your life, your your story. Um, how did you wind up in the the blockchain world, the Web three world? Was there anything in particular, um, and how did you get to where you are now with chains? Sure. Um... I'll try to keep the story short, but in principle, I spent most of my 20s being a developer. Uh, um, <clears throat> originally, I'm an Israeli, and so uh, as the many Israelis do, I, uh, I spent uh, uh, a few years in the army, uh, specifically in uh, Israeli military intelligence. And then I was a developer, uh, not only a developer, but other things as well. But I spent most of my 20s uh, developing real-time thermochemical control systems, developing hardware as well as uh, various um, full stack services and so um, I was exposed to uh, the blockchain roughly 11 years ago just as I was transitioning out of my developer years and into my gaming passions so I used to play poker for a living and I used to be a reasonably competent uh, StarCraft player before I got old and stupid. And so uh, in 2011, I was hanging out with a bunch of uh, academics and libertarians and uh, we got into discussion about um, economics and uh, that was basically the first time we had about Bitcoin. And the idea of just non-government issued money was just amazing to me because we have a free market. We have free markets from almost everything at this point, and we don't really have a free market for currencies. Governments have a monopoly over currencies, and so uh, I figured, well, it doesn't have to be like that. What if currencies were to be issued by, uh, let's say, Bitcoin is a pseudo DAO, but let's say, what if currencies were issued by communities, DAOs, corporations, individuals, etc., and those uh, those currencies would have to compete with government-issued currencies. And so uh, Bitcoin was just an amazing concept to me. And uh, myself and others, we started to uh, started working on getting an exchange up and running. And so in 2013, we launched one of the first uh, cryptocurrency exchanges. Uh, we launched Unicoin. Uh, uh, fun and amazing times, hugely challenging from a regulatory perspective. But yeah, this was basically my first exposure to cryptocurrency and working in the uh, Bitcoin space. Uh, you know, there were very interesting times. Like, I think I uh, met Vitalik Buterin in a basement in Jaffa when he was uh, just explaining uh, solidity. And uh, I just walked away amazed the second time because now I just said, okay, so now we're going to have programmable money. So if up until this point you'd have money and then you build the system that is designed 
to control it. And at this point, you could actually program money itself. And that was kind of the second time it was blown away by, by what's happening in cryptocurrency. And to a degree, I was active uh, ever since. As mentioned, I have other passions, specifically gaming. So I spent many years working for Riot Games, the makers of League of Legends. And um, in 2020, I decided to get back into it as an entrepreneur. And uh, myself and the core team behind Chase.com, we basically started working on this multi-product, multi-chain, a platform that would allow people to interact with both CFI and DeFi worlds through a single account. Nice, nice. It sounds like a really interesting way to kind of get into the space too. And um, it's cool that you got a chance to meet Vitalik on a couple occasions there. Um, he's, he's a very interesting guy. Um, so, in regards to chains, what are some of the things you guys are trying to accomplish? What do you What do you guys want to do specifically in this space? So the big picture is as follows: right now there are just over a hundred million um, cryptocurrency and Web three users, which is a huge number. A hundred million is a lot, um, but. I think the industry and the products that we have to offer have to change a lot before we get to a billion users. Like transitioning from 100 million to 1 billion users is going to take a significant change with regards to what we expect from users. Right now, virtually all the participants in this ecosystem are to a degree either investors or technologists. Maybe if you are if you hold Ethereum, Bitcoin, uh, Solana, definitely if any of the L2s, you have to understand the underlying technology. You have to understand the difference between the, the protocols. Uh, you have to understand how fees work. You have to keep up with the fluctuations in the various currencies and you possibly uh, update your wallet and other things related to just uh, ensuring that your funds are secure and you can use them. Uh, I don't think we can expect that from the next generation of users. If we were to think about what the next generation of users is going to be like, we can't expect them to be technologists. And so what we're building with Chains.com, uh, the long-term goal is to build radically, radically user-friendly products that allow people to interact with centralized finance products, but also with web-free products uh, from a single account, which they know is compliant and regulated and is powered by the best technological stack possible. And so they can interact with multiple products that interact multiple products that interact with multiple chains, but without the need to uh, deeply understand the underlying technology. Mm -hmm. Like I would say that our goal is to minimize the interaction that users must have with the chain while using the product. And we must make constantly this distinction between the product and the technology. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that would make the user-friendly aspect um, a bit better too, especially in the Web3 space. It can get a little complicated sometimes and people don't want to 
play around and try and figure it out. They just want it to you know work like you, you're able to go to Google and punch in a search query and it works like that's what people want at the end. Exactly. Like nobody thinks of Facebook as a PHP company just because it is powered by PHP. You don't expect people to learn jQuery and PHP and HTML5 and cookies and everything just because that's what it takes to power Facebook. They just look at the product and they do not interact with the underlying technology. I think in the long term, if we were to ever to get to the scale of a billion users, this is the level of kind of product friendliness that we need to provide. Absolutely. What are some of those products? I know that you have a couple listed on the site. There's a launch pad. Um, there's something called Prism. There's an exchange. There's a marketplace. Uh, do you want to touch on some of those a bit and kind of what uh, those are going to pan out to be? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we obviously have this publicly available roadmap, which explains what we're working on. Some of those products are already live. Uh, some of the products that we've launched and are launching are not even in the roadmap because they're not uh, strategic enough in a sense. So the first product that we introduce is the Launchpad. Uh, right now we have a Launchpad that supports uh, 13 payment methods. It supports various stable coins. It natively supports four different chains uh, and their native currencies as well as Bitcoin. Uh, we support Visa and MasterCard. We're integrated with the Coinbase Payment Lake, uh, uh, Gateway. Uh, we have uh, a KYC and account management and investing systems. And all of that is already live and working in the launchpad. And so we're conducting our own uh, token issues, token generation that on our own launchpad. So this is us kind of eating our own dog food. So we built the product. And we're using our own product to launch our own token instead of relying on external launch pattern exchanges. Uh, the next product that we're going to introduce, the big product, uh, is going to be Prism. Prism is an analytics and portfolio management product, uh, which is specifically designed for people who want to track cryptocurrencies, but also equities, uh, commodities, uh, and other assets. So not only that, it also allows you to look at uh, assets through the value of other assets. So, for instance, you could be looking at the price of Tesla in terms of uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? So, you could, be, or you could be looking at all of the cryptocurrencies through the prism of Solana. So, this is why we decided to call it Prism. So, basically, if you have like this one asset that comprises over fifty percent of your portfolio, you're probably going to care a lot more if the rest of the assets uh, fluctuate up or down compared to your base assets. Obviously, this is not a mandatory feature, but we know this is something that was requested by our community and we decided to implement it like that. So as mentioned, the next product is going to be an analytics and blockchain focused uh, product, which is go also going to be providing API access to businesses and external services that want to feed into all the data. The next thing that we're going to introduce is an exchange, which is pretty much a mandatory product for any service, which is a multi-product CFI. Uh, Multi-product CFI is basically the common name that you would give to Binance, Crypto.com, Coinbase, etc. Like if you were to go to Binance, you're probably going to see around 14 to 15 products tied to your account. And so obviously we're going to introduce an exchange, uh, licensed, regulated, connected to the same account that your users have created when they have uh, set up uh, their Chase.com accounts to use Prism or the Launchpad. And kind of our end game product is the marketplace. Uh, a perfect market, marketplace is basically a product, uh, a marketplace where everything is money, right? So you, uh, sellers, 
can accept the currency we are choosing and buyers can use any currency as a payment method. And this is something that we can enable once we have enough liquidity and we have the exchange up and running, basically everything becomes money on that sort of marketplace. Do you guys have a native token that serves as like the underlying foundation for these products? Yes. So uh, we've issued CHA, which is our own mm -hmm. token. It is issued on four blockchains. It is issued on Ethereum, BNB, Chain, Tron, and Polygon. Uh, and this is the native utility token, which is pretty much the backbone of all those products in terms of uh, economics. So basically, if you're using Chains.com, you should definitely hold CHA and utilize CHA when you're transacting with Chains.com. Uh, it is not entirely similar to BNB and FTT. I think uh, those tokens have really good models. And so our utility token is similar to a degree to its utility. For instance, uh, in the coming week, we'll be introducing a rewards program, specifically targeting our affiliates. It's an entire product designed for professional marketers. And the more CHA you hold, the bigger the rewards are in terms of uh, receiving bonuses. When you refer people to chains.com, you receive a higher revenue share, and you also become eligible for special prizes uh, by referring users to chains.com. So for instance, if you refer over 9,000 users, you get a board a Yacht Club NFT. Got it. That makes sense. That's an interesting system. Um, how does the the tokenomics model work to help incentivize people within the system? Are there different ways to go about doing that? Because I noticed some on the website, um, some that even you guys have pioneered too, uh, like the earned income credit system. Um, do you guys have uses like that uh, or use cases that are similar? Um, or, or I guess best put, what are some of the aspects of your tokenomics system that are more unique compared to maybe others? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I'm a huge believer that nothing works on ideology. Basically, on a long enough timeline, uh, people will not invest or hold assets based on ideology. They do things out of self-interest. So uh, CHA provides very kind of tangible, specific benefits to people that have it. So I'll start with the most obvious example, the product that we'll be launching next week, which is the uh, Chains Rewards Classic and Chains Rewards Pro programs. So the more CHA you have, and uh, I, um, the higher your rewards are. So uh, if you hold uh, over a certain amount of CHA, you can get as much as 3% of the revenues generated by your referrals. And if you hold less CHA, uh, you'll be earning less than 1%. So if you are if you are a community manager, uh, if you have significant social presence, if you're an influencer, you're promoting chains.com, uh, you want to hold a certain CHA balance in order to receive the maximum amount of rewards possible. Same goes if you're trading on an exchange. So if you are an active trader, a day trader, uh, if you stake CHA or you're using CHA as a uh, as a way of paying for your fees, you'll basically be provided with significant discounts. So it makes sense to use CHA and not any other currencies when you're paying your fees. And it also makes sense to accumulate CHA if you want to pay lower fees in, in general. 
Uh, you mentioned EIC. So EIC is uh, something that was designed by an economist, Asaf Patir, uh, who's made tremendous contributions to token economics. He holds a PhD in macroeconomics from Northwestern University. And he helped us design uh, the earned income credits uh, system. So one of the things that we know about online marketplaces is that freelancers tend to abandon marketplaces uh, during shock events. So what is a shock event? Basically, a lot of freelancers to a degree rely on having these long-term high-value customers that can sometimes account for more than 60% of their income. And so when they lose those customers, they can experience periods where they must find a job because they can no longer afford uh, being freelancers, right? And this is the primary reasons why people, why freelancers specifically leave marketplaces is because they have these periods where they do not find the right jobs to remain freelancers. Obviously, they have bills to pay, and so they transition back to being employees instead of freelancers. So what we've built is uh, the system, EIC, Algorithm Credits, which algorithmically analyzes uh, these shock events as they happen on the marketplace. And those during those events, it compensates uh, freelancers based on their history. So if you are an active participant on the marketplace, for a year you've been earning really well, your work was well reviewed and rated, and you're going through this uh, downswing, so to speak. Uh, so we're like, okay, we don't want to lose you as a market participant, even though you don't have clients at the moment. So there is a special pool to which CHA tokens are allocated from which we will be willing to cover up to 60% uh, of your standard revenue. So you can keep promoting yourself on the marketplace until you get back to a position where you have uh, clients again, instead of you leaving our marketplace and going somewhere else. And for instance, that sort of mechanism is completely unique and actually impossible to implement unless you have a token like CHA. Right? So a marketplace like Upwork or Freelancer.com cannot implement this because they can't actually like build just a giant pool of money from which they pay people. It requires an external native token uh, that is entirely used for compensating and maintaining people within the system. Yeah, that's a very interesting way of encouraging freelancers to kind of stick around, maybe help them out, you know, give them other options to to earn. Let's take a step back and look at it from a macro perspective. Um, when you look at the overall DeFi ecosystem and the DeFi market that's starting to emerge globally um, and how that kind of competes with the traditional finance or centralized finance system, how do you think freelancers begin to fit into that. I imagine there's going to be a lot of ways for them to work on a platform like Fiverr, like Upwork, uh, something similar, but it's going to be decentralized or it will be in some kind of decentralized community. Um, do you think it's going that direction as well? And do you think maybe that's the best place for them in the future? I'm not sure. So I think a lot of the things around decentralization are more ideological than practical. So if, I, if I'm a graphic designer or an accountant or a lawyer or a coder, if what I care about is putting food on my family's table or you know, affording that vacation, 
or you know, eating and sleeping well. What I care about is an efficient marketplace where I can get the right kind of work, where I have the security of getting paid. And in case something happens to me, uh, I have some level of security provided by the platform in this particular case. But let's assume that that virtually never happens. Uh, but let's say in our case, it does. And so if I think that if you, if a freelancer would have to pick between a really good marketplace and a worse market that is a marketplace that is simply decentralized, I think they would prefer, simply prefer the better product because end of the day, this is a product question. And I don't think that the technology and ideology of decentralization is enough uh, to just get people to uh, engage with a decentralized marketplace for the ideological reasons. What do you think the biggest reason is for that? Like the biggest thing that holds back decentralization from making it so easy for these things to happen, like having a decentralized Fiverr, for example. Um, why, in your opinion, why is it so difficult for that to happen, even though it could exist today? Um, I think it's incredibly hard for people, for groups of people, to make uh, just, for lack of a better term, mediocre decisions. Like when mm -hmm. a lot of people come together, uh, I think it's far easier for them to go for moonshots because it's easier to reach a consensus around something that is obviously awesome than it is around something that is just, okay, that makes sense, let's do that. Uh, these kind of consensuses, I think, are, are just super hard to reach and super hard to act on. And so if you were to run a DAO that is supposed to build such a marketplace, I think it will be incredibly hard for it to actually build a decent product with a decent stack behind it and for that product to be constantly upgraded and constantly shipped at the same pace that Fiverr and Upwork and Freelancer ship their products, which is basically on almost a daily basis, you will see upgrades to the product. I just think that decentralization adds a layer of complexity to decision-making that would make such products just incredibly hard to design and ship. I think that decentralization works for a different, different kind of product and only then actually when there is like this super top-tier meritocracy that happens at the top. So you would have like amazing super developers like Andre and Vitalik that build like 50% of the ecosystem and then everybody kind of feeds into that and uh, you know the consensus is built around that but unless i think uh these super individuals like these super developers super product designers are there i think consensus uh, around the day-to-day -day decisions uh, would be just too hard for a community uh to come around and shift things Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's an interesting point to make. Um, also, stepping back from DeFi specifically, just looking at the overall Web3 um, industry that's emerging, where do you think we're at in that, not cycle of adoption, but uh, growth, I guess, um, in terms of, you know, there's a lot of projects out there. There's a lot of companies, a lot of startups, there's a lot of things happening. 
Um, but nothing is really like fully integrated into society yet. No one's using it in mass quite yet. You know, the best use case across Web3 has been Bitcoin over the last 10 years, but nothing else has really taken foot as of yet and substantially. Um, so when you when you take a step back and you look at this new industry, this new version of the Internet that's you know starting to finally grow and emerge, um, where do you think we're at in that? And do you think it's very, very early? Um, do you think we have a long ways to go still? Um, do you think we've come a long ways already? What are your thoughts just overall? I think it's. Um, I think we've come a very long way, first of all. Mm-hmm. Like, um, remember in 2011, none of the things that, let's say, I was saying to our potential investors at the time, and Bitcoin was trading at $13.5 already at that point with significant volume. I think it was reaching around $100 million volume a month or so. Oh, sorry. So around $100 million market cap. So to us, it was huge. Uh, and like you would talk to investors and principal forward thinking individuals and like it, nothing made sense. So we've obviously come a very long way uh, in the past decade from that. Like people care about the fact that there are now non-government issued currencies that are maintained by either corporations or DAOs or individuals and you can't at this point roll back the democratization of creation of money. And it's not only that, I think that there is a possibility that we will see uh, whether it could be an algorithmic stable coin that just works instead of Luna and could take the world by storm. Maybe there'll be an alternative currency to the US dollar and the euro that simply works globally and is unstoppable and is perfectly stable with predictable inflation or deflation. Or you could face a nightmare scenario where Facebook issues its own cryptocurrency, and then you have an economy the size of two and a half billion people that outscales every other government, and now Facebook is the most powerful entity in the world. And all of those realities are possible today and entirely impossible 10, uh, 10 years ago. So I think we've definitely come a long way in terms of understanding what can and cannot be done. But we also have to understand what can and cannot be done is defined to a large degree by regulation. So let's say if there were no regulation whatsoever, I think the world as we know it, basically, the economy as we know it at this point would have been just completely destroyed by cryptocurrency. And that's an axiom. Like, that is definitely true. If you would not have, uh, would not have the regulation we have in place and the enforcement mechanism we have in place, by this point, we would have had uh, cryptocurrencies issued by large corporations, by communities that would have just completely demolished the economic uh, system that we have in place at the moment. Um, and so the boundaries of the system, I think they're primarily set by regulation. Uh, this is the state of things, and I think this is going to be uh, the state of things going forward. Meaning it's the regulation that's going to set the boundaries for uh, where the industry should be going. So for instance, I think that um, there will be a huge decision to be made once a central bank issued digital currencies and properly emerged. We're already seeing these large projects being launched in uh, China and other countries 
But I think that once uh, more countries issues uh, CBDCs, there will have to be a decision. Hey, do we allow both C uh, central bank issued digital currencies uh, to exist next to Tether and USDC? And what does that even mean? Like, what does it mean for for free digital dollars to exist? Do we allow that or not? I think that's going to be a huge decision for, for a lot of uh, governments. I think there's going to be a decision around DeFi. So I think at this point, DeFi is, DeFi is a niche product that is not really gathering steam or demand. Meaning here, CFI is still dominating the field. We also saw virtually a rug pull graph when it comes to NFT uh, uh, volume, right? So uh, the volume of trade of NFTs on OpenSea has decreased by 99%, which is just an amazing figure. It is a remarkable figure. Uh, so that's an indicator. Uh, uh, to with regards to the market interest in NFT trading, not NFTs, but NFT trading, specifically NFTs of uh, questionable artistic value and uh, minimal utility. I think that NFTs have amazing value in terms of utility carriers, uh, but I think uh, NFTs that are entirely tied to the artistic value uh, of the NFTs uh, are bound to disappear. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts about NFTs and DeFi and kind of the state that we're at. Yeah, some good thoughts there. Um, I'm definitely under the impression that one of the biggest things that's going to affect global economics is going to be stable coins. And that might be shocking to a lot of people because it's not like the most exciting thing um, in the web three space and in, in the blockchain industry, I mean, stable coins are stable. <laughs> they're not as volatile. They're not exciting to people, but they're so important because they're pegging a fiat system to this world and creating on ramps and off ramps and regulation around that is incredibly important in terms of, you know, if, if a country wants to have a CBDC come out and they want to have uh, an environment within an economy where that can actually flourish. Um, can it, you know, be side to side with something like Tether or, or another algo one like Terra Luna at some point or USDC or something that's heavily, um, you know, backed by large tech, big tech, maybe big banks, um, other institutions at some point, you know, how does that affect economics if they're traded against each other? I, I think people in a lot of ways, um, and maybe it's just they misunderstand, but they don't think about how impactful money is on society sometimes and finance and the little changes can just be abrupt. Um, so I think stable coins are going to be really important in terms of how they're regulated and how they become legal going forward because they're incredibly important tools. And then you made a lot of good points on uh, NFTs and DeFi and so many other niches that have popped up and that I think will be important that have a lot of great utility, but still very, very young in a lot of aspects. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I generally think that a lot of people underestimate uh, just the kind of how much change can be triggered by the further democratization of stablecoins. So 
uh, as we both of us mentioned, stable uh, coins issued by large corporations can completely destabilize the market, the economics as a whole, because mm -hmm. stable coins issued by entities that are big enough essentially create economic units that are bigger than the countries that we know, right? So suddenly you have an economy with 2.5 billion participants in it, mm -hmm. which means it has a significant power and significant ability to affect their day-to-day -day lives. Yeah, you know, uh, Meta, aka Facebook, they have like a third of the world's population on the internet and direct access to them through their entire ecosystem. If they were to launch one token, you know, whether it's something like Libra or something else that they do, or they did some kind of um, SDR-esque, you know, basket-based currency, which I think is what they were going for originally, um, they would immediately have access to the two 2.5 billion people that, you know, are on WhatsApp or on Facebook and Instagram and social media and getting into VR and virtual reality. And I think at some point they will do that. And I think it will disrupt a lot of things globally. Um, but it's uh, it's very interesting that they weren't able to. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen first, a large corporation putting out a major stable coin or a CBDC. But, um, you know, both seem pretty neck and neck at this point. Either way, it's going to be very disruptive. Yeah, uh, I agree. And to be honest, like, obviously, we have our own currency uh, token, specifically CHA. And, you know, we've made a decision to build CHA as a utility token that is designed to provide users with value when they're interactive with Chase.com. So when mm -hmm. we're, but when we're talking about Mera, we're really talking about uh, giving people the ability to also to interact with one another. So, you know, just, you know, thinking about an example, let's say a person who is based in Colombia, such as yourself, if you had to choose between uh, accepting 100% of your payments in your local currency or accepting a currency which you know is accepted by 2.5 billion people, uh, that is not a trivial decision. Do you trust your local government and your uh, local central banking system more than a company that has an inherent interest in making sure that its economy is successful for the more than 2 billion users that use it. And obviously, a lot of people will be making that decision. I think a lot of people, without governments preventing it, a lot of people will be making the decision around the world to uh, utilize uh, currencies issued by corporations and not governments, which is a dangerous thing, by the way. I'm not for it. I'm just saying that this is a clear and imminent danger to to democracy first and foremost absolutely you know i think it's incredibly important for democracy uh especially bitcoin too again it's one of the most amazing things that has ever happened i think in human history at least in my point of view when's the last time we had a technological innovation on money itself and when has it had such a profound impact and at a time when people distrust government at all-time highs uh, more than they ever have in in human history and they're choosing it and they're choosing to bet on it when they feel that they need a hedge against uh, centralized authority. Um, I think that's incredible. And I think it's incredible what Bitcoin has been able to achieve in terms of a market cap today, um, despite it being such a simple, slow, clunky blockchain. You know, it's there's nothing really 
amazing about it except its symbolic value and the fact that it just keeps going. So I don't know. I, I have so much to say about Bitcoin when it comes to that kind of stuff, when it comes to democracy. Um, I think this space is nothing but good for it in the end because democracy has so many issues today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bitcoin is a, is a blockchain MVP, um, like minimal viable product. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's like the simplest possible blockchain possible. Uh, 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 it is basically a decentralized ledger. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this argument has been stated many, many times, but this argument has also been true uh, for over a decade now. If Ethereum were to launch before Bitcoin, Bitcoin would have never launched because Bitcoin is technologically inferior in every possible way almost to uh, Ethereum because it provides less functionality. It is obviously energy intensive. Uh, like it's incomparable in many ways to the functionality provided by the best chains right now. But end of the day, uh, you know, through its history, through its consensus and through its ideology, Bitcoin still is the most important cryptocurrency in the world. I agree. I think that's a really interesting way to put it. Um, I think we should wrap it up here. We got to get to another meeting, but Anderson, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Really appreciate it. Really quickly, where can people go to learn more about Chains? Obviously, they can go to Chains.com, but do you want them to go to another resource? Do you guys have a community somewhere? Where do you want to direct people? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, yes, going to Chains.com is probably the right way to start. But uh, from Chains.com, you'll be able to reach our Twitter and Telegram. There's over 100,000 people there who provide 24-7 support on our channels. I think going to our Telegram, asking any question, as we 24-7, uh, you'll get a reply for, from other community members or community managers. Perfect. Guys, go check out Chains.com. They got some great products coming out. They're doing some great stuff in the space. Uh, make sure to like the video and subscribe as well if you haven't to the podcast. Anderson, thank you for taking the time to come on. Really, really appreciate it. Good conversation. Very insightful. Um, very educational. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely. My pleasure. All right, thank man. You, Take care. See you soon. Cheers.